So what did we learn today? On the third day of February, we learned a lot about an exhibit that's taking place in the city county building here in Pittsburgh for Black History Month. It may be for one of the most beloved playwrights that Pittsburgh has ever had. Born and raised here, August Wilson changed so many things in terms of how that job is done, but he also opened a lot of eyes. Brandon D'Elamonte from the city of Pittsburgh's Office of Special Events, my first guest on KDKA. Really, really, really cold stuff. And uh, my wife went up and uh, skied. She was at, uh, where she go, Hidden Valley today, and uh, said it was really cold. The snow was great, but it was really, really, really cold. And here we are in February, and you would expect that's exactly what we get. And once we get into February, we also pause and look around and reflect on things that we can learn and things that maybe we didn't know or things that we had learned but had forgotten and now want to maybe teach ourselves again as we are in this time of Black History Month. And the city of Pittsburgh has certainly been doing its part to showcase things. Last year during the month of February, we were talking about a lot of different issues having to do with jazz. And that was a theme that we have looked at because of obviously what Pittsburgh's role has been over the years in the jazz scene. But we also are going to be looking now at a slightly different part of Pittsburgh's past and its culture. And we are joined now by Brandon Diamante. He joins us from the city of Pittsburgh, where he is the program coordinator for the Office of Special Events. Brandon, how the heck are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. You know, I think last time we talked, we were talking about like an outdoor movie that was going to be taking place in the summertime when it was like 90. And now you're <laughs> on and I think it's nine and we're trying to stay inside as much as possible. Right. We need to find something that we can talk about when it's, say, 45. Can, can we work on that for next time? Yeah, absolutely. We can work on it right now with uh, our Black History Month event that's coming up. Well, and you've got a lot of different things planned. And August Wilson is a really big part of what you're doing with the August Wilson Archive and some of the other things that are happening. So help us to understand a little bit more about who August Wilson was and why he became one of Pittsburgh's favorite Native sons. Sure, yeah. So American playwright, born right here in the city of Pittsburgh in the Hill District, um, all of his plays have gone to Broadway at this point. He's most famous for his um, American Century Cycle, also known as the Pittsburgh Cycle, which is a collection of plays, uh, nine of the ten of which are set in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, so he really he really is Pittsburgh's uh, native playwright mm. who went on to be known you know, all across the world. Fences, obviously, was the one that Denzel Washington was involved in, right? That was a Hollywood picture in addition to being a play, and a lot of people learned from that. What can we learn from him, though? What are the things that we can take away from his work, whether it's just sort of something that we as Pittsburghers would understand or that would be universal truths? Yeah, sure. So he really represents, you know, not just you know black history in the city of Pittsburgh, but, you know, the history of the city of Pittsburgh. Um, and a lot of his plays center around, you know, sort of identity and, and finding yourself um, through his works and some of the conversations he has between his characters and some of these, uh, as you mentioned, Fences and some of his other well-known works, including, um, you know, The Piano Lesson, uh, which also won a Pulitzer Prize for Drama. And there, there's a lot, there's a lot to really digest here, and we hope everybody can come out and see it in person. And if you can't, you know, make sure you're following us on social media and online so you can get it all there, too. So help us to understand, we come down to the city-county building. It's going to be there all during the month of February, during Black History Month. What will people see as part of the archive? Yeah, sure. So we've got lots of memorabilia, um, props from his plays. we got handwritten notes. We have um, 
you know, a prop from one of his plays, seven guitars. We have an actual guitar down there. Um, and there's a lot of materials, including some artwork of his that people may not be familiar or, or even known that he um, had done in this collection. So there's a lot of really interesting highlights here that are all presented by um, our partners at the University of Pittsburgh's library system in celebration of the August Wilson archive. The other thing that I think will be fascinating is to be able to hear some of the the series of interviews that are uh, recorded and basically giving people an opportunity, you know, to hear from those who knew him, to those people who worked with him and, and things like that. Who are some of those folks and, and, and what, are, what are some of the stories that, uh, that you think will resonate? Sure. Well, one of the most important and the most interesting, in, in my opinion, is uh, we have Salah Udin, who was not only starred as Jim Becker in a recent production of Wilson's play Jitney, um, but he's also a personal and childhood friend of August. And uh, to hear some of the stories of, you know, them growing up together in the Hill District's heyday and what it was like, um, that that's really interesting to me. And, and you can catch all that on our website, too. And we also interviewed a Pittsburgh playwright and Mark Clayton Southers. Um, we interviewed Denise Turner and Chris Rothen at the August Wilson House. Um, and a couple others as well that you can all get at pittsburghpa.gov forward slash events. Do we have a way at this point, and I, I think it's safe for us to say that you know, we're a little bit biased, right, because it's Pittsburgh and we love Pittsburgh, um, but do we have a way to really understand how significant the work that he has done is on a national or a worldwide basis? I mean, is it possible, or do we just have blinders on that makes us say, mm-hmm. that's August Wilson and he's, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, help us to, to put that in perspective. Sure. One of the most interesting stories I heard through this whole research process for this event uh, was talking to Pittsburgh playwright uh, Mark Clayton Southers, who uh, mentioned to me that he thinks August Wilson's work had a profound impact on uh, Barack Obama actually becoming elected as the first African-American president um, in the United States. And that is by putting black life on the stage uh, and exposing it to a national audience uh, to to people who you know wouldn't be privy to that to to able to be subjected to that kind of um, culture and what was really going on um, in some of these in some of these different people's lives and that's a story that you can hear on the website as well where he goes more in detail about how he thinks exposing people uh, through August Wilson's work exposing people to black life really helps people um, you know appreciate uh, understand and and have an impact on you know the election of Barack Obama, which is just a really fascinating uh, insight into the subject matter. So if it opens somebody's eyes to say that's possible, you don't limit yourself to say, eh, it's never happened before, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what drama sometimes can do for us. Absolutely. And even, you know, a lot of people aren't aware that you can make a living as a playwright, um, especially not in the city of Pittsburgh. And, you know, there's a lot of local institutions here um, who hold up August Wilson and continue his legacy by putting a lot of his productions on. And, you know, not just these well-known plays, but they're doing a lot on the local level as well uh, to bring arts and culture uh, to the city of Pittsburgh. So it really is quite profound, uh, the impact he's had on the area. Brandon Almonte is a program coordinator, Pittsburgh's Office of Special Events, talking to us about Black History Month and the August Wilson Archive. Again, it is downtown. It's an opportunity for you to see it at the city county building. It's in the Grand Lobby, right? Is that where people just they literally come into the lobby and you can't miss it? That's right. It's absolutely free to come down and check it out. Uh, it's open on weekdays from 8 to 6 p.m. And like I said, if you can't make it down, make sure you're following us at PGH Events Office 
and that's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you're going to be able to see that content um, coming out on our social media all month long too. Really good stuff. Brandon, thank you so much for being here. We always appreciate the fact that you're so well prepared to talk about the stuff that's going on with the uh, Office of Special Events and projects that you're working on. It's always great to have you on KDK. Thanks so much for spending some time here. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you again. Very good. Brandon joining us here again from the city of Pittsburgh and what they are doing to honor the life, the work, the legacy and the power that's been left behind from the written word of playwright August Wilson. The August Wilson Archive at the City County Building from now through the end of February, part of Black History Month. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We also talked today about, you know, if you go to the doctor, you have a copay. You know, if you hire a lawyer, you're going to have to pay an hourly fee. But what if you send an email to your doctor following up? Well, the Cleveland Clinic now may send you a bill for that. Ohio State might do that. There's a hospital chain here in Pennsylvania might do that as well. And there are others. Should you be billed for sending an email to your doctor? We talk about that and had some interesting calls on the subject as well. Throughout the pandemic, we learned some new terms. We found out about some different ways that things could be done. We all had to do things differently. We found out about electronic health communication. We found out about telemedicine, right? You can see your doctor almost like via FaceTime rather than actually going in. And the pandemic Hey, stay at home. We don't need you coming out here and risking infecting somebody else or if you don't have it, being around people who are infected and therefore getting it. But the relaxed rules that are out there in that regard, well, perhaps they have also been relaxed in some other areas as well, as in billing for some of the nation's major hospital systems. Doctors' practices, some other groups too, some have started charging a fee for responses to more time-intensive patient questions via electronic portals like MyChart, which is, in essence, a way that you can send an email to your doctor. So you have this piece of software or a portal, and your doctor's office is um, tied into that, or your hospital system is tied into that, and so you can go in there and you can send something. Well, they now have the ability to make a determination that based on the amount of time that it takes for a doctor or a PA or a nurse or whatever to answer that question and to fully answer follow-ups and things like that, that they have the ability to bill you for those electronic conversations. New study shows those fees. Some institutions say it's a co-payment, maybe $3, maybe $5. But in some cases, it could be a $35 fee or a flat fee of $100. And they're saying that that may be discouraging to at least some of making sure that they are getting the appropriate medical advice that's necessary 
And it may also be discouraging people from trying to get it via email. Nearly a dozen of the nation's largest hospital systems now say they're charging fees for some of their providers' emails to patients or they have at least started pilot programs in response to this survey by the New York Times. Now, the Cleveland Clinic is part of it. Houston Methodist is part of it. North Shore University Health System is. Lori Children's, which is in Chicago. Northwestern Medicine, which is there in Chicago. Ohio State University in Columbus. Lehigh Valley here in Pennsylvania. Out West, it is the Oregon Health and Science University, University of California, San Francisco, UC San Diego, as well as the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA. Now, charging a fee for having an interaction with your doctor via electronic communications, email in essence. As we're shifting more and more to this electronic world, should those providers be charging for that sort of thing, even if they never see you as a patient? Maybe you're already a patient on their role, but they don't see you for it. You have a question or a follow-up. Should they be charging for that? Is that discouraging patients from seeking appropriate care or appropriate follow-up? And the other question that I bring up is how are you going to know whether you're going to get charged for it or not? Right? If you if you want to call your doctor's office and say, hey, wait a second, you know, this prescription that you gave me, I know what it says on the bottle, but I'm not exactly sure about fill in the blank. You want to know that information from your doctor's office, right? And if you just say, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll just go into it on my own. I'll look it up on Google. And I'll say, no, 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 no. That's probably not, what, not, not, not the best way to be dealing with your medical situation, right? So as we're shifting into this virtual world, what are your feelings about being charged for virtual communications? I'm not talking about a virtual appointment where face-to-face, basically, over a FaceTime or over an Android platform or over their system, even doing something that might be like a Zoom meeting that you're talking face-to-face with your doctor, that basically would be covering the same sorts of things that you would do if you were face-to-face in their office or clinic. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is what are your feelings in terms of emailing communications back and forth, either as follow-up questions or as things come up as part of your routine healing and recovery. Is that something, are you okay with being charged for that? Or do you look at that and say, hey, wait a second, that is part of my follow-up and I need to have access to that information. And isn't it easier frankly, for me to send an email and then respond to that email than to call the office and then ask to speak to a nurse. And the nurse says, well, I'm not exactly sure. So they go and they talk to the doctor. And the doctor then says to the nurse, well, this is what you say. And then the nurse has to come and get the record and say, I'll call you back. Wouldn't it just be easier to go ahead and send an email to the person who was the one who saw you and simply ask that question? They may be able to answer with a yes or a no. Hey, do I have this right? I'm taking this three times, right? And you wanted me to start next Monday. Correct? Correct. Done. Or do you want to go through all those extra steps? 866-391-1020. 866-391-1020. Should doctor's offices, should hospital systems be charging people for electronic communication?
You send an email, you send a note, you might get a bill for $3. You might get whatever your copay is. Your copay is $40 to see a specialist. It's $20 to see your family physician. That's what you're going to get if you email them. $100 if it's uh, you know a specialist. That's what you're going to get for sending them an email that they respond to. Now, I think it's important to point out that many of those people were saying, well, here's the thing. We're going to charge those fees for the more time-intensive patient queries for those that are time-intensive, which is understandable. I mean, I think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, okay, it's not everything. It's not for the simple one-answer or two-answer emails but it's for those that may end up taking a tremendous amount of time, which takes them away from seeing other patients, arguably. But are you in favor of this? Do you look at this? I mean, think about it. If this was for uh, an attorney and you had questions for your lawyer and you sent them questions about your case or about um, some advice that they were giving and it takes them a certain amount of time, to, would, would you expect to be billed for that? Would you expect to be billed from your doctor's office? Be curious to know what you think of it. Let's go to uh, Joan in Bell Vernon. Hi, Joan. You're on KDKA. How are you? Good. How are you? I am good. Do you think this is a good idea, or do you raise an eyebrow and say, wait a second now, this is getting a little carried away? Where do you come down on it? Well, I personally experienced it, and I was kind of outraged. I went to my primary care physician with a dermatological issue, Uh and she said, well, you know, here's what I think, and I'm going to prescribe you this, but if you don't mind, I'm going to ask a dermatologist about this. Do you mind my doing that? And I said, well, sure. You'll get back to me on it? Yes, I'll get back to you on it. And the next thing you know, I received a bill for $120 from a doctor that I never saw. Whoa, what? So the dermatologist my... sent you a bill? Yes, and my I, I weighed in with my insurance company because it said it wasn't covered and it gave me a code. And when I called my insurance company... They stated that, you know, this isn't covered because any time that a doctor spends more than five minutes to respond to something from another doctor, you're going to pay for it and we don't cover it. And I just felt so blindsided because my primary care physician never mentioned that this was going to cost me out of my own pocket. Right. And uh, we're still kind of like, the interesting thing is I actually called that doctor's office. And the woman that I spoke to said, I'm going to work on this. She says, you know, you're not the first person that's had this issue. Huh. Let me get to the bottom of it and get back to you. So I'm still waiting to hear what the resolution is, but I'm not happy about it. So you know firsthand what it's like. And I, I like the word that you use. You kind of felt blindsided, right? You really kind of Absolutely. felt like this is a gotcha moment that you were not ready for. Yes, we want our doctors. Sure. Take as much time as you need to get the right answer. I want to make sure it's right. But give me a heads up that there might be an extra cost to do that. I mean, you could have gone to the dermatologist on your own. Yeah, no, right. Had she said that to me, I would have said, "Oh, that's okay. You know, I'll I'll make an appointment with my dermatologist if this medication doesn't work." Yeah, oh boy, oh boy. I could see that being a very, very frustrating bill to open or phone call to receive. That that's the way that it was going to be. Right. Yikes! All right, and on the flip. The other issue you were talking about is when we as patients 
go on to my chart and ask the physician a question directly, uh-huh. which I have been doing that lately because I find it a lot easier because they'll respond in the morning yep. as opposed to my calling, giving the nurse the question, mm-hmm. then waiting for her to take it to the doctor and get it back to me. I like that direct interaction with the primary. Have you ever been billed for that? No. Okay. No. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, thank you for letting us know what your experience was. And uh, boy, that's just that that had to be really frustrating. That had to be really, really frustrating to have that happen. Thank you so much for calling in from Bell Vernon today. Let's check in with Paul Alexander right now. 13 minutes till five or till four. (laughs) Wishful thinking. Uh, Trying to get us all home a little early. Right. So places like the Cleveland Clinic. Places like Northwestern Med in Chicago, Lori Children's Hospital there in Houston, California, San Francisco, San Diego, the VA, Ohio State, among those that are starting to charge if a doctor takes an email message from you. And it takes a long time. Now, here's the thing. I have no problem whatsoever paying for services that are rendered. I think that for me, one of the things that's a hang-up is I just want to know what is going to be billable and what's not. And then I can make a decision, is that something that I want to do, or do I want to go in and have a regular face-to-face visit? Let's go back to the phones and find out what some other people think. Let's bring in Anna. Hi, Anna, calling from Butler County up in Cranberry. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Rick. How are you? I am good. What do you think of this? I mean, I, the doctors are due if they give advice, right? That's that's what we pay for to go to our doctor. But how do we know when, I think, is maybe what we were also hearing from our last caller, don't you? Um, well, I don't think the doctor's necessarily the bad guy. I think the doctor's put in the middle spot. Mm. Oh, there's no he, doubt. You're right about yeah, 100%. I don't know what policy I have or what my policy covers. I think maybe the idea should be they could say you could potentially be charged for this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not aware. But I think they are so afraid of being litigated that they want to check with the doctor that really is the specialist on that mm-hmm. rather than the generalist that kind of identifies problems, too. I think that comp- compounds the problem. So I-, I think it's more an insurance issue than it is actually a doctor issue because you are paying for their expertise. So when you say an insurance, you don't necessarily mean an insurance company, but you're saying they're just sort of covering themselves from potential liability from a lawsuit standpoint, right? That that, and not knowing what policy I hold. I you see. Know, they, so, yeah, so it is. So it is both then, right? Right. It, it, or it, the nuances of my policy. You know, that, they might know I have Highmark, but they don't know, you know, what plan all my details. Even, right. Every policy is different. Yeah, so. do you have a PPO? Do you have an HMO? Do you have, yes, exactly. absolutely right. So then how do we work through that? I mean, I, is that something that we can expect somebody in their office to know ahead of time, or do we just simply oh, say, no. Yeah, no, my it's brother's hard. an internist. The, the, the office staff won't know that. I think it's almost a question of you have to call your insurance company before, or your policy carrier before you go to the doctor to see, yeah. hey, you know, what is covered, what isn't covered. And I know that puts more onus on the patient. Um, but I, I don't really know what other way to get around that. Well, but the same thing is true, like when you're getting your car repaired, right? I mean, if you go in and, and you're going to have this done, they're going to say, okay, we'll just go ahead and do whatever it needs. Are you giving them carte blanche to, to fix anything and everything? And if that means, you know, you need a new valve stem, well, it wasn't yeah. leaking, but we thought you needed a new valve stem, then, you know, you're dinged for another, you know, $14 or whatever it is. I mean, it's, right. it's the same sort of thing. We have to take responsibility for ourselves and looking out for our own best well-being, even in even yep. in, a, in a medical situation. Hey, that's I agree. great stuff, Anna. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks for calling. 
Sure. Bye-bye. Yep. Good stuff from Cranberry today. Anna weighing in on that. I think she's uh, she's nailed it. I think she's hit it right on the head that we do need to know. And if that also is a good reminder, that you know what, we need to know a little bit more about the insurance that we have. Because just because, as she said, you have Blue Cross Blue Shield doesn't necessarily mean that you have something that covers everything. Telemedicine, email, conversations, etc. It's not always the same. So if you know what your policy covers, you've got a much better idea of what you can and cannot ask and what you should expect to be billed if it is not covered by your policy. And finally, my producer, Antonio, a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan, and we allowed him once a week to play the Fly Eagles Fly fight song for his beloved football team. Today, we helped Antonio and preschoolers everywhere learn from that song. Take a listen. Some of the words. Touchdown, one, two, three. One, two, three. All the higher you can count. Hit them high. Yeah, didn't know all the words. Watch our eagles fly. Fly, eagles fly. On the road to victory. E-A-T-L-E-S, eagles. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure which is worse. The fight song, are you singing it? <laughs> I, I really, 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 uh, I, I, I love your passion. I love that you, I mean, if, if the guy comes in here wearing one layer of Eagles clothes, he's got six. Because he takes off a jacket, and then a leather jacket, and then a pullover, and then a hoodie, and then a jersey, and a t-shirt, and then down to his tats on his shoulder. I mean, it, it just it's six or seven layers deep for Antonio Palula, who is just giddy about the fact that the birds are in the Super Bowl and one game away from lifting, what, their second Super Bowl trophy, Second right? Super Bowl their in second. five years. Okay, but still, second, right? <laughs> second. Not, well, well, you know, you know, we didn't blah, get the blah, chance blah. to win yeah, it in lost, the 70s. We, we you lost know. way back in the 70s when we played in it, so that doesn't count. Yeah, we don't are... care about Kenny King smoking us in the Super Bowl when we played <laughs> the Raiders. We don't care about that. Anyway, I, I have allowed you for, what is this, the third week in a row or the fourth third week? week? Third, third week in a row yeah. that I am going to placate you by allowing you and, and keep you motivated at the workforce <laughs> and in the workplace by playing something that gets you pumped up. Super pumped. Okay? Every week you have been allowed to play your beloved Eagles fight song one time a week on the program. Yes. We're making an exception today. Because your team is getting very, very close, we're going to see how this fight song for the NFL could be very helpful for preschool children. Okay. Okay. All right. I think I see so, so what I want you to do is I want you get that thing re-queued up. Yep. Okay. So what I want you to do is we're going to go through and I'm going to give you some things that might be in there and see if you can identify where in the song these important skills for a preschooler are identified in your Eagles little buzz jingle. Okay. <laughs> okay. So there are things that are in there. There's counting. Mm-hmm. There's letter recognition. Oh, yeah. Large motor skills. There are opposites. 
And the letter for the week next week at a lot of preschools as we're getting along is V. Mm. So let's see as we play this song if we can figure out where those sorts of skills might be in the song. So, Antonio, give me some examples of where in the song we were doing counting. Where did we have <laughs> counting going on? Okay, so there was the score touchdown, one, two, three. There we go. Very well done. This is like working with Elmo. This is really, really, really fun. So there were, were there any other examples, Antonio? Of counting? Yes. Um, I guess maybe the fight, fight, fight. No. Okay. No, the only example was one, two, three. <laughs> fight, fight, fight is the same word I, said three times. Well, it's not counting. Well, you have to count to three. <laughs> We're going to ask you to sit in the hall and think about what you've done, Antonio. No, we don't do that in preschool. We don't do that. Okay, so counting, you got that one. How about letter recognition? Where do we come up with letter recognition in the Fly Eagles Fly Fight song? At the very end, you know, after, you know, you just scored a touchdown against the Chiefs, you, you scream E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Did it, did, I didn't do that. Well, you, well, you I'm, did. Right? Well, I mean, the Eagles are going to do it on Sunday. I, oh, okay. Okay. So, ne next Sunday, because there's no game this week. Um, <laughs> then again, when you don't go to the Super Bowl very often, you don't know those things about the week off in between and all that kind of stuff. But Pittsburgh hasn't been for so long that we've forgotten about that, too. Um, so give me an idea of large motor skills. What might be some large motor skills hmm. exhibited in the song? This is the one that I, when you said it, I wasn't too sure. That's okay. That's okay. We have really, really helpful staff here. We can get you through this. <laughs> is, it, is it the fight, fight, fight? Well, that could be a motor skill. I'm not sure we want to talk about fighting at preschool, though, Antonio. I mean, Tom, Tom here. That was Tom? Yeah, he informed me, Road to Victory. So I'm going to steal his answer and say Road to Victory. You both need to sit in the hall for a little while. <laughs> Flying is a large motor skill, oh, right? Yeah. We're using our big muscles. Mm -hmm. It's a motor, fine motor skills like writing or coloring, big motor skills, walking, jumping, flying. Mm. Okay, so there we, we got another one. You you guys are, are, are two for three together. <laughs> Listen, Tom, I'm sorry. These get degrees. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> how about this one? Where do we see or hear or learn about opposites in Fly Eagles Fly? Oh, my goodness. Opposites. It's kind of like an antonym, two words that mean different, yeah. exactly opposite things. Flying. Hit them high, hit them low. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I see what you're doing. You got that one? I'm picking up what you're putting down. So now we're helping kids understand the high, the low, the words that are opposite. They mean different things, right? And then finally, if, if our letter for the week is V, why would this song be helpful? Because the Eagles will be victorious. Play the song. <laughs> Just... 
play, play the song one more time. This is a remedial class. There's a counting, right? Hit them high. Hit them high. Opposites. L-E-S, Eagles! So is it victory? Yeah, victory. Yeah, the road v. to victory. Road to victory. Starts with a V. Victory. There you go. Isn't that great? Oh, it's a, it's one of the most I mean, it, beautiful songs. It has just proven that I won't say that most Eagles fans have the... No, I'm not going to go there. That's too easy of a joke. I just love the fact that you can take something like this and there are teachable moments if you look at these sorts of things, right? It's the kind of stuff... And I literally... I was at a preschool but my photography business this morning doing pictures for the preschool, and that was one of the things they said, hey, if you want to teach the little kids a song, run that one by them next week. Think of all the different things. So seriously, what I love is people and teachers and educators who look at things like this. It's topical. It's timely. It's one of the teams that's in the Super Bowl. The big game is coming up. Take that and let's work on these skills that we've been working on all year long. And you know what? I worked with you and Tom right now, and I feel like a preschool teacher. This get, is great. Do I get a nap and a snack as well? Uh, no, it was your day to bring snacks, so I don't know what you're going to find. But Tom and I are really hungry, okay? <laughs> really, really hungry. Let's check on traffic right now with Paul Alexander from the P.J. Fitzpatrick Home Improvement Traffic Center. Your KDK AAA traffic powered by Bowser Subaru. Paul, you like how we uh, we, we, we help the Eagles fans? We, we, we just bring them along with us slowly? Uh, no, if I ever hear that, if I ever hear that song again on these airwaves, I might not be around for any traffic. Well, I told him that he could play. No, it once you don't. A week. You don't. You know, no, no, no. He's wearing the damn Philly jerseys in here every day. I know. He just, I mean, wake I up, read the room, read the room. Hope you had a great time learning with us, having fun with us on KDK. If there's stuff that you hear on the show that you like, let us know. Make sure your friends know about it too, and we'll see you back here on the radio starting Monday at two o'clock. Have a great weekend.